Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast with the Switch to Manual guys. I'm Antonio. And I'm Tom. And I feel like I'm an announcer from some weird show. It's <laughs> a weird way to intro the it's show. It's door number one, Tony. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> if I can start talking like I'm from 1920. <laughs> yeah. A few weeks ago, we went to this... Uh, Elizabeth and I went to the Jazz Age Festival on Governor's Island. Yeah, those were really cool pictures. Have you seen that? Have you heard of it? No, no. I just saw your pictures. Two two times a year, in June and in August, Governor's Island is this island between Manhattan and Brooklyn in the harbor. And it used to belong to the military. Now it's closed down. And twice a year, they have a lot of events there. But twice a year, they have this thing called the Jazz Age Festival where everybody goes and dresses up like they're from the 20s. And they have old cars. And they, it's a picnic. And you can bring you know your stuff and hang out. And everybody dresses up. So we dressed up. I'll put that picture up, I hope. You can see it. But anyway, they had a band there, you know, the guy. And he talked like this. And they had the, they had the old microphone, the old style microphone. So uh-huh. it sounded like these old radio broadcasts. So I thought I'd start talking like that, at least at the beginning of this episode. Funny man. Yeah. That reminding me that we are, uh, this is the photo. Oh, wait, we're episode 29, right? I'm going to get these numbers right because I messed up a couple of episodes ago. So the numbers are, are going to be right on this time. I'm not going to mess up again. Yeah, we're this good. 29th episode. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to talk about light. Light? Yeah. Why yeah. should we talk about light? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it does feel kind of extraneous from photography, but right. It, well, photograph. You know, breaking down. And we'll probably get someone, com- you know, saying you're wrong about this. But photograph, breaking down the component words, photo and graph, means mapping light. Graph meaning map, and photo meaning light. So we map light. That's kind of what we do. If we didn't have light, we wouldn't be able to take pictures. So, I thought this episode. I don't know. We'll talk about our favorite kinds of lighting and different kinds of lighting. I mean, we could probably go off for two hours on this thing. So let's not, but let's get the ball rolling on light. Yeah. And I'm going to go first. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Kick it off. Somewhere in my past, I've, I fell in love with skylights. Uh, and I don't know where that came from, but the light from a skylight. And it's not just like clean glass. So, you know, I'm going to say this. I've had a skylight. I don't know if I had a skylight in my life in my apartment when I was growing up. I did not. But we had this kind of frosted glass in the bathroom. There was a period of time when the sun would hit the, the, the bathroom window. And it was this frosted glass, and it would be the equivalent of a skylight. And the light came through, and... There was something about that light that was very comforting to me. And I've seen it in other skylights. And again, skylights with frosted glass or Mm, um, uh it's not quite frosted glass. I can't describe it. But it's the kind of glass that has these little wire things in it, you know, like a safety glass or something like that. Strength in the glass, yeah. Yeah. And then somewhere along the line, I had gone to the museum, the Metropolitan Museum, and seen some Rembrandts or anybody from that time period painting. And the light that these guys were painting with or, or showing or Vermeer or something like that was very similar. And so I fell in love with that kind of light. And what's really funny is I don't photograph with that kind of light. I haven't set up 
like a studio shoot or something like that to try to duplicate that light. I'm almost I don't want I don't want to try to duplicate it. I want to find it naturally, and uh, naturally meaning like you know in a building with a skylight or some sort of you know maybe in a church or something like that. But it's it's a light that I don't want to duplicate because I don't want to screw around with it. But yeah, yeah. When you find it, you find it. Yeah, there is something about that quality of light that I'm in love with. So I wanted to put that right on the table. That's the first, like my earliest memory of a of being aware of light and a kind of light that I love, and mm-hmm. a kind of light that I'm sort of, you know, in my mind dreaming of duplicating, and I will at some point. I hope. I promise myself I'll try to do that. At least you know doing it artificially. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, invariably you just find yourself in places that have skylights and it is so fun because it does just flood the room with light and there's so much you can do. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it often is coming from the top. Right. Right. So it's higher than the subject or higher than what you're photographing. And there's often deep shadows involved. There's often, you know, I'm thinking about light coming through. I don't know if I think of a, a church as well, the interior of a church, maybe not through a um, stained glass window, but similar, maybe like a lighter stained glass. Then when the light hits the ground and it bounces back up. And so that you get this ambient light. So you have the, the, the sort of the direct light coming from the skylight, but then it's hitting a surface and it's bouncing back into the subject. If you're photographing somebody. And so you've get this sort of radiant light that is, like extra light. I don't know. I'm in love with that, that kind of lighting. And uh, I'll see if I can find some images to put in the show notes that reflect that uh, to be a little tricky to find because I don't really have much of my own. But uh, Well, you know, a situation that you and I have been in when we've done the workshops in Red Hook, I think the barge had a skylight. Yes, yes. Yeah, so we, a, we could find those. There's a barge in Red Hook. This guy owns... I think, and he's leasing out the space for like a dollar a year from the city. Yeah, forget the technicalities, but it's an educational uh, floating museum. Yeah, so educational a- floating museum. I'm saying as I'm putting quotes around the, the words, yeah. Uh-huh. But he lives on this barge, but he's got, you know, the part that's open as a museum. He has skylights in there. Uh, yeah, yeah, the barge is, is a great thing. But and that, I don't know, maybe that's why I'm attracted to it. I'm attracted to churches because of that kind of light i'm attracted to you know i don't know medieval castles i haven't been to a lot of them but i've been to italy and been to england a couple times and i've seen that kind of light old museums too sometimes have that the way light comes into a museum uh from the top when when they don't have uh i think in in england there was the victoria albert museum i visited a long time and i think it, it, it had a lot of natural light like that as well so it's a natural light, you know, yeah. light, and it's really kind of better when there's sun coming through rather than it being overcast because there's just not enough light with overcast. But uh, I don't know. It's it's a light that really excites me. So what about you? Well, it had, what you're saying now has me thinking about just windows in general and how, um, I mean, it feels like kind of a standard trick that a lot of photographers do use although it's just because it's fun and and it does work and the natural light coming from windows like to have position a subject sort of 
facing a window and whether you capture the window in the image or not to have that that warm natural light kind of streaming in you can just get such beautiful effects yeah and you know the part of the practical thing about what you're talking about is when i first got a digital camera that i really considered a serious camera was my nikon d2x and it was a 12 megapixel camera. It's a, I still have it. It's a really heavy, bulky camera. Uh-huh. And it was pretty de- It was okay with low light. Um, I mean, the sensors weren't great, but it was better than what I had before. And I did a whole production of shots, uh, a whole production of photography in a studio with, you know, three or four models. And for the most part, I used the window light in the studio. Uh-huh. And what was interesting about that was the the camera was the camera tended to i don't know i think i had automatic iso on it so it was boosting up the iso to take the pictures because it was so dim in there but the uh-huh. light was so nice when i got the pictures back they were grainy <laughs> because there was noise but the window light was so nice and nowadays the cameras the sensors have gotten so much better that you could do exactly the same kind of thing I did before and not even worry about the noise. The, the cameras are picking up way more light than your eye can see. And so it's a very practical thing to use window light for, you know, say portraits or or something because the cameras are so much more sensitive to light. You can even be further away from the windows now, I think. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, again, if the sun is coming in and it's bouncing off the floor, that's another light I love, by the way is light that bounces off the floor, but I'll get into that in a second. But you move further away from the windows and you can just use natural light. You don't have to use artificial lights. Turn off the fluorescence, turn off the incandescent lights in the in the place and just use the window light. Yeah, yeah. Do you do a lot of portraits like that? I do, yeah. I, I love playing around with natural light. I mean, of course, there's times when using some artificial light, a flash, um, even a reflector. I've, I've really had some fun with the reflectors and I just feel like that's obviously less artificial. It just feels more natural. And I have one that's got, uh, that golden side to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I really find like it gives the warm, just a, a warm reflective light. That's kind of a, a glowy kind of thing that I, I love. You do that for like portraits? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I've I've got one of those. It's a it's a reflector that has f- multiple different reflector of reflective surfaces on them. It's that sort of silvery gold material. And uh-huh. I used one outside in the sun, that was a big mistake. <laughs> Cuz it was like focusing a mirror. <laughs> yeah, you you can light somebody on fire. I was insane. It was this gold I can't remember. Okay, I put it away, but I set up the gold reflector part and happened to point into the sun and it was like it was blinding so but uh, i wanted to get back into the the reflective light from coming in from the window there's Uh, you did you ever watch the show deadwood uh no i never have okay so those people who've watched deadwood on hbo we won't go into whether or not you like the show or not but they used a lot of what appeared to be natural light uh or they went really far in reproducing light that looked natural, but I don't know the way it acted. So for instance, there's scenes in this hotel where this widow lives and she's having visitors. And what's going on is that she's further into the room away from the windows. 
and the floors are these polished, you know, wooden floors. And uh-huh. the sun is coming in from the window and it's bouncing off the floor and then bouncing back into the back room. And it's creating this sort of underlight, mm, you know, right. yeah. and it looks harsh, but it, I don't describe it. I mean, maybe I could post a still from the show in our show notes if I'm allowed to. Don't tell anybody. I will, I'll, I'll do it. In nobody, All right. Yeah. You know, no, we, I'll let you do that. But you can understand it. It's, it's an, it's sort of like the opposite of skylight because the light's coming in, it's bouncing off the floor and it's hitting up. So it's under lighting the subject. Uh-huh. But what you're getting is the, because the, the light is hitting the floor and it's hitting all the texture of the wood. You're getting all the, like sort of the wrinkles of the wood. It's not a mirrored surface. So all the flaws and all the, the knots in the wood somehow show up in the light. And so the light is not very even. It's kind of textury. And it's yeah. such a beautiful light. And again, it's funny. I'm talking about these lighting. I just realized I'm talking about light that's like old-fashioned lighting. Uh-huh. You know, and it's natural. It's not anything that's artificial. It was just, you know, how did people in the past, how did they light their apartments? You know, when there was no electricity or you didn't have gas lamps, you had to somehow figure out ways for the sun to come in and, you know, bounce around and light up the darker parts of the apartment. I don't know if this is the intention of the way they designed, you know, some of these things, at least in the show or something like that. But um, it's a light that I notice and mm-hmm. uh, I like. And again, I haven't really photographed with it. I just notice it and say, I love that, the, what the light is doing. Yeah. Well, I think you're, you're getting at something important, just that it can be so interesting the way things are lit and and when a room is designed well and so much time and energy goes into it it can <laughs> what's that johnny cash is howling in the background <laughs> no that's not a werewolf <laughs> american werewolf in brooklyn yeah oh my gosh yeah is he okay yeah probably just somebody walking by or a dog walking by probably there you go. but yeah i mean I guess what I want to say is that oftentimes I think when we think about lighting, you know, we think about setting something up and using a flash and whether it's sort of a on camera or off camera. And, you know, that's sort of like more of a technical lighting thing that we could do at another time. But I think what we're talking about today is just the the interesting way that light falls and, and what these cameras today especially are capable of capturing and how fun that can be and how creative it is. I mean, I oftentimes what I like is when something within the image is lit up in a really interesting way, but then lots of other details in the image are, are shrouded in darkness or, or just not emphasized. And so you're really playing with the available light. I, I think most photographers enjoy doing that, and I, I certainly do. I think that's really fun. Mm. Strong light sources like the sun. Yeah. There's, you can have a lot of fun with that. I like shots that are shot in midday with a lot of shadow in them. Uh-huh. And especially yeah. when a photographer underexposes it so that all the shadow is very dark and black. And then the subject is appearing in these little bits of sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> and Johnny agrees. I think Johnny agrees, yeah. <laughs> that kind of... You know, and again, it's manipulating, you know, the, the image a little bit because you're you're underexposing it. So the parts that are in shadow or something like that are, are turning black. And the parts that are lit by the sun are probably well exposed, or the right exposure, but everything else is suffering. Not suffering, but everything else is going to turn darker. 
I picture shots like in New York City, we have these overhead subways, you know, like in Chicago or something like that. And when the light and the sun is coming through the top of the elevated train and it's creating a lot of shadows, but there are these little stripes of sunlight. Yeah. Those make really, really interesting pictures. I got a, I think I got a shot of someone I took in Brighton Beach. I'll have to look it up and see if it is, but I think it's that kind of shot where there's a lot of shadow and I purposely underexposed the picture where I might have darkened it in post-production a little bit so that the emphasis was on the sun and the shadow was strong and black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm glad you're saying that because I I know I oftentimes feel like in midday I... I'm less inclined to shoot because it just the light feels so harsh. But I think that that can uh, prevent you from getting the kinds of images that you're talking about. I mean, when you have that bright sunlight and you you take it on and you just deal with it and make the necessary adjustments and then, yeah, play with the shadows that can uh, yield some really cool images. I like being over on the underneath the elevated train track the F over on McDonald Avenue here in Brooklyn because mm-hmm. there's just so many interesting shadows and weird things happening with light over there. Yeah. Anything that's above and creating shadows is, is a great thing to play with. And I was going to go back to the, you know, the old days a little bit when you were shooting slide film, it was often really good to slightly underexpose slide film because it made the colors a little bit more saturated. And it would block up the shadows as well. And some of the camera, the camera I'm working with now, the Fuji X100T, I do the same kind of thing with the JPEGs in that camera. I tend to underexpose it. I treat those JPEGs like slides. And they react the same way. They get this really deep, nice black shadow. Mm. Uh, and it's, really sat- it's a really satisfying thing to, to see. And I wanted to also touch the, the base about, you know, when people are post-processing pictures, there's sometimes that school of thought where someone wants to, and I'm not talking about HDR pictures, but someone wants to have the whole tonal range show up in an image. And Um, I'm not really necessarily for that. I think sometimes it's really good to have spots that are perhaps even overexposed, or in this case, we're talking about shadows. I think it's sometimes really good to have, you know, black shadows with no detail in them. That can really set a picture apart. And the black shadows really emphasize the parts that are being lit by whatever light is in the picture. Uh-huh. So it's something to consider. It's like we're not always out there to grab every you know bit of tone in, in an image. Sometimes it's good to hide some stuff. That's the one thing that you know our eyes kind of can't do. We can't underexpose our eyes. I mean, you can put sunglasses on or something like that, but I'm just talking about naturally. We, we tend to see in the shade and the highlights very well with our eyes and to sort of force yourself to to remove detail is a really interesting thing and you see a lot of great street shots or pictures of you know even landscapes where the trees or something are all black and then you have these little bits of you know like if you think about trees silhouettes of trees and then the background is a mountain is just catching the bit of the sun as it's setting yeah and there's that little sliver so anyway i'm just it's just sort of a point of like we don't need to capture the entire tonal range and uh remember that good point yeah let's go into artificial light a little bit because uh we have to deal with that a bunch of times yeah yeah well off-camera flash i have found to be really fun and you know lots of times people don't want to use the flash because it's hard to avoid that 
blasted out sort of just harsh feeling of flash lighting. Of course, it's depending on the type of flash you have, you can set your flash settings so that it doesn't burst so brightly. And I, I love doing that. I mean, oftentimes I will turn my 580 speed light, I forget which version I have now, but I just turn it down as low as it goes so that I'm, I'm just giving myself a tiny little splash of light. And then, so I, that's one thing I enjoy doing. I don't use flash that much when I shoot uh -huh. people, uh -huh. but I do appreciate some like photojournalistic style or reportage style photography where the, the flash is right over the camera and it's lighting the subject bright and harshly and uh -huh. you can see all the wrinkles and and whatever and sometimes that really works it doesn't always work when you're trying to take a picture of the family you right. know? yeah because everybody's got then they've got you know red eye and they look like they're deer in headlights and it just isn't quite fit uh-huh but you know if you go to i've been to let's see i've been to some events like my you know siblings not siblings uh we call them nibblings, like nieces and nephews, nibblings, uh -huh. weddings and stuff like that. And yeah. I use the on-camera flash and done really like I drag the shutter a little bit so I get some background motion. And the flash is really harsh right there in their eyes. And it uh -huh. works. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And so sure. sometimes a harsh, unnatural light can work depending on the context. And I think it is not even the context, but it's depending on how you photograph. So... People in a line, you know, waiting to get their picture taken. Everybody's standing there, and they're all being flashed on. It's going to look kind of crappy, right? Uh, but yeah. you're on the dance floor with the couple, and you drag the shutter, and you pop the flash, and you got a little bit of blur in the background and a little bit of shadow because the people are moving, and the flashes in their eyes, and maybe you don't get the red eye, but you know you can get rid of that these days. But you get that harsh light, and it all of a sudden it takes on a whole different look. It looks like a you know, a photojournalistic style shot. Yeah, that's true. That can It can really work sometimes. And using some remote triggering device, that's just something fun to play around with. They're not that expensive, and you can just put your flash on a tripod and put the triggering device on your camera. And oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. We well, did now that. that you're mentioning that, <laughs> what just popped in my mind was when we went and did a, these are great. I'll post these in the show notes, but we went to Times Square, remember? Yeah, yeah, With man. the burlesque performers? yeah. So we'll put up the less risque pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll put, I, I don't think I was there, but I remember you telling me about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, yes. my church members are listening. Well, these are the these are the crazy days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. My wild New York days. Yeah, no, they were that tasteful. Was, it was they were tasteful. Yes, yeah. but the way we set that up, and you and me altered, so we both had our own cameras, but we had one speed light on a pole with a remote trigger that we uh -huh. would swap between our cameras. And so you would be my lighting guy and you would hold the light over the subjects and I would shoot and then we would swap and I would hold the light and you would shoot. And because we had the remote triggers, we both could fire off the flash remotely. Uh -huh. But yeah, in that case, so fun getting a little distance from the flash on the subject. It's yeah. less harsh and, yeah, well, it worked great. Yeah, and what it allowed was that I could then position the light where it, sort of I wanted to, you know, and I could make sure that I'm getting the subject, and I could move it up because it was on a pole. I could move it up high enough that the, the cone of light that came out of the flash was enough to light the um, performers. 
uh-huh. and not anything else. So yeah. you know, depending on how far I I put the light in the in the air uh, above the subjects, we would have a bigger cone of light or a smaller cone of light. Uh, and then, like you were talking about in a previous podcast, you go to Times Square and anything is going on. It's a great place to photograph because something's always going on. Yeah, all the stuff that was going on in the background was really nice, and so we had all the neon light and the street lights from the and the the headlights from the cars and whatnot. And then we had our own light source that we were creating a pool of light with. And I thought those were really, really successful. Yeah, that totally worked. And that and that was at night. And it can, but the same thing can be done during the day. And you can get some really nice effects just with some fill flash. And when you get the the flash off the camera using one of those remote triggers, then you can position yourself in different relation to the subject, get further away, use a telephoto, get some you know, shallow depth of field and get some interesting effects, but have, have people be really well lit. And, and oftentimes when people are starting out in photography, if it's a daytime shot, they just don't ever think of flash, but it can really, it can really make a big difference even during the day. Yeah. And on that note, which and there's nothing I haven't done is using flash outside to overpower the sun. Have you seen uh, pictures like that? Yeah. Yeah. Those are really, really, intense pictures because you know that they're taken outside you know they're taken during the daylight but through the magic of photography and math you know and power you can set up your flash to produce more light than the sun and so what ends up happening is that your subject is well lit and well exposed but the background is darker maybe even black but if it's black, then you don't really see that it's outside. But the outside is darker, and you can see all the shadows from the sun and whatnot. But the subject in the foreground is much brighter and is well exposed. And those are incredible pictures, depending on the subject. Yeah, and that's something I haven't done yet. Uh huh. Yeah, we well, have to be careful because when you, if you, your settings are a little bit high, your your subject will be incinerated. <laughs> <laughs> a little little. Pile of ash on the si- on the sidewalk. Well, who was that? Oh, that was a model. <laughs> yeah. Damn, okay. Yes. The manual guys. Right. That's a caveat. Don't set your settings too high, lest you incinerate the people you're trying to take a picture of. <laughs> then you won't get paid. <laughs> yeah, but that's it, that's the funny thing about light. I mean, you can you can do counterintuitive things and uh, and yeah, and, and really get creative. One of the one of the greatest websites to study about Flash is the Strobist, mm-hmm. um, his blog. Uh-huh. I'm spacing out on the guy's name, but it, it, you know, learning how to use Flash properly. I mean, that's a whole you know a whole school. You know, one of the best photographers who uses speed lights, in my opinion, is a guy named Joe McNally, which a lot of people, who yeah. a lot of people know. Uh-huh. I took one of his classes where he did a whole thing about speed lights. You know, and he carries with him, like, you know. 60 of these things for crying out loud so but yeah with with 60 speed lights you can do anything i don't know 60 i'm just exaggerating but you know yeah, a, a, yeah. a lot of them uh-huh yeah know? it just takes a few to get some powerful results yeah but you can do so much with a flash there is so many things it's not just for sitting on top of the camera and and taking a shot of the family at an event it is there are so many cool things you can do with it. And so I would point people, I mean, people who are listening to this probably already know about this website, but I would just point them back to the Strobist. 
and some of the stuff can be very advanced. You know, I flash photography is still one of those weak things for me. Like I really have to think about how to do it. And sometimes it's like trial and error when I do flash. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I tend not to do it, you know, like talking about before the, the stuff I was doing in the studio production. I like to try to keep my lighting at a minimal, like the, one of the last productions I did, and this was a while back, but it was, you know, photographing for a stock photography. Uh-huh. And I used um, these, I had these strobe lights. There's there's a great company called Alien B. Yeah. Um, they make these little strobes. They're not that expensive. Uh, they're not battery powered, so you had to plug them in. You can get battery powered strobes, but they're, they're a bit expensive. But, like, if you're going to do a shot where you need a lot of light, when you need a cheap, these things are great. And I had four of them, and I put them behind a king-size bed sheet. So picture, I, I, t- I tacked up a bed sheet between a couple of poles, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I put that behind me, and it was a king-size. Not, maybe not California king. It was a king-size. Maybe it was California king-size. Those are big sheets. Put those between two poles, put them really tight, put the four lights behind them, sort of evenly spaced, and then I stood in front of the sheet, and my subjects were ahead of me, and I had a remote trigger device to fire off the flash, and all day long I just shot, you know, and the light was pretty much the equivalent of window light coming in from behind me, uh-huh. and and sort of doing a flat. It was the the look I wanted too, because I was shooting the subject straight on. There was no real shadows on them. Uh-huh. It was a real flat light, but. It worked out really well because I was sort of on a time limit. I had my model for a certain amount of time, and I really didn't – I was. I don't think I had an assistant. So I had to set up the light myself, and I had to – I wanted to get the most amount of shots possible in the day. And I decided that's going to be my light, you know, a giant bank of, of windows, like, you know, like a window light. Yeah. And it yeah. worked out really well. The light looked really nice. The, the color was really saturated. I was still shooting on film for this – for that production, so – Mm-hmm. You know, I was I really was trying to maximize my, you know, return on the day. But the one thing I didn't want to do all day was, you know, set up lights and move everything every time I changed the shot. I just I just, you know, did that. And what it allowed me to do is also side lighting. So I would turn perpendicular to the to the light and I would get side lighting like you were talking about before, window light that was coming in from the side. Uh-huh. And I could change exposure essentially without having to change the light by just moving the subject further away from the from the source of light. Yeah, there's definite advantages, I think, to be to taking the time to set something up like that, to get it how you want it, and then you're just free to shoot and to play around with how, where the subject is in relation to your light source. But just getting the basics in place for a shoot like that can be fun, and it's worth the effort at the outset. Yeah. Another kind of light um, I like, and I'm sure a lot of people like, are, is called God light. <laughs> Uh-huh. I always think about it like, you know, after, you know, the sun is setting or the sun is above some thunderstorm clouds and you get a break in the clouds and you get these beams of light that come through and hit the ground. Yeah. Um, that kind of light anywhere is just like, you know, a dream come true, especially when it happens indoors. Like if it's if it's possible to have like a, a window that, you know, in the side of a wall someplace and it, and the inside is maybe dusty a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, and so you yeah. get these shafts of light. It's like that in. famous image of Grand Central. Yes, yes, yes. Again, another picture of my youth that I fell in love with. That's probably why I like that light so much. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it's it's really dramatic. Yeah, I've I've been going back to the Grand Central Station to try to see if that light was ever duplicated, and it and it, it can't because there's no diesel trains anymore. Huh. All that dust and stuff was a probably coming from people smoking, and huh. the fact that the trains were probably spewing a ton of smoke inside the terminal. Huh. So it was just a natural place. I mean, I can't imagine it was very healthy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it was just natural to see these beams of light. I mean, there are still beams of light that come into Grand Central a lot fewer these days because there's more buildings surrounding it. But all you do is see the light hitting the floor. You know, you don't see the shaft so much. Yeah. But like, you know, sorry, I was going to say like early morning, you know, with dew coming through the forest, you know, and you point up and the sun is coming through and you can see the shafts of light. In fact, what we're kind of what we're talking about in these cases, you're you're almost the subject is the light like you're photographing. Yeah, because these particles in the air, you actually see the beams of light because well, actually you're seeing the light being reflected off the particles, whatever it is, whether it's water or smoke or dust or something like that. You know, you don't really see the light, but it's a way of seeing the light. Absolutely. One, one of my favorite shots was taken after some bacon was cooked. And uh, there it produced sort of a smoky steam and, and light was pouring in from some glass paneled French doors. And you could really see the beams of light. Mm. So that's and another... Practical tip: Cook some bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Cook something, and yeah, have your and, and take take down your smoke alarm too before <laughs> it goes off. I mean, there's there's ways of making that artificial if you want. I mean, there's although when you just start filling up your house or something with some sort of particulate matter, just so you can get beams of light, that that always could lead to some other kind of troubles. You could start yeah. incinerating people again. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a <laughs> smoke. Yes, you get the beams of light through the pile of smoke of the incinerated people from the too much light that you shot with. But I really like that. That that also that's the kind of light you'll see coming in through a church too. Yeah. You know, especially with the when there are some glass panes that are really clear. And then sometimes churches will have that smokiness in it because they've they have incense in it. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, there's a famous church in Times Square um, that's nicknamed Smoky Mary's. Because their Christmas Eve service, it's a big Episcopal church, and they use so much incense that over the years they've gotten that nickname. I think it's the, I forget the actual name. I think it might be St. Mary's. I'm not sure. But, huh. um, but yeah, I, I have photographed in there on Christmas Eve when they are using the incense, and it's really spectacular. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to, try, I'll have to go see that someday. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't even know that. Where in Times Square? Um, well, it's just in that neighborhood. I think it's like around 44th Street or something. All right. Yeah. Worth checking out. Are they always use is it just the Christmas thing or do they um That's that's the only time I've been there and that's what they're really well known for. People like it's at the top of the list of things to see on Christmas Eve in in Manhattan. Hmm. Um and maybe that's just my geeky church friends, but I think it's pretty famous. I, there's one more thing I want to talk about. The light painting, not light painting, long exposures with light. And I'm thinking about the shots that you yeah. did with the with the hula hoop girl. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and those are so much fun. That, again, is uh, also about photographing the light. These, are, these were LED uh, illuminated hula hoops or a hula hoop 
that yeah. this woman had that you ran across where? It was, it was after we photographed uh, a wedding in Greenwich Village. And uh, yeah, we just saw this gal going by and we had been in that shooting mode and I just took a few shots and we started talking to her. The, the really cool thing about some of these illuminated hula hoops, the kind she had, they're just brilliantly designed so that when they are in use, they generate these really complex geometrical patterns that, uh, that when you photograph them, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but we'll have to include a couple of those images. Yeah, the, I guess the idea is that she'll spin them around so fast, your eyes will also, you know, I think the, the LEDs are blinking, so they're creating the pattern. Your eyes will see it as, a, what is it, persistence of vision or something like that. But the camera picks up on that very well, too, with a yeah. long exposure. Uh-huh. But some of those, there's this one shot that you have of her that you went back and photographed her in the rain. Yeah. In Washington Square Park. And the reflections of the hula hoop in the wet ground make it look like the patterns are extending down into the floor. And that is, I, again, that's something I haven't done yet. You know, you did it. <laughs> but I haven't done these, like, really cool exposures at night with someone with, a like, a LED hula hoop or light painting. I mean, light painting has been around for a long, long, long time. And uh, that kind of thing, doing long exposure and having a light go off while you're exposing so that you could sort of paint the light or you have a long exposure showing a pattern of lights from a from a device like the hula hoop, that's, that's so much fun. And that is also about photographing. That's in a way photographing the light. Yeah, yeah. There's a few different interesting kinds of creative things going on if people just – Google light painting photography, you'll, you'll see some stuff. Yeah. There used to, a long time ago, there was something called the hose master that came out that was using uh, fiber optics. I think you could still buy it today. Um, maybe buy it used, but people would set up their studio, turn the lights off and this use this thing called the hose master to then paint the subjects that they were photographing. And the light looked re the, the effect of the light was really interesting because it would have no shadows in some way the light looked like it was coming from all directions but it was very the the light was wherever the photographer was pointing it at so that's the only place that exposed so it was really interesting one of these days i want to try that it's very easy to do with digital because you can see your results really fast uh -huh. uh, back then you had to develop the film and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if you didn't get it <laughs> you had to start all over again and it was another day or two digital now you could you know you could do it while you were tethered or something so anyway we've talked enough about light there's enough yeah. light in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, order. an ongoing subject to be sure, but uh, we got, we got made a good start, I think. Yeah. So I'm anticipating that between now when this episode comes out and sometime in, you know, distant future, you're going to be moving. Yeah. Right. So let's let people know that you're probably going to be off the air for a little while, unless you find time and we can, we can do some recordings. I hope it's okay. I might have to have either, uh, a guest come on yeah of course you, we could do a couple of the interviews that we've been talking about yeah but i like to do interviews with you but <laughs> we'll see <laughs> it's possible i might have gene come on gene mealy our friend if he's yeah. if, if he's available uh, i might throw in a couple of podcasts just myself yapping um uh -huh. but like doing recaps of news and and maybe some reviews and stuff like that so if if you're cool with that we'll we'll keep the show going while you're settling down in your new spot in arizona yeah, of course. And then and then we'll be back. Switch to manual, guys. Yeah, you'll just be on the other side of the country, mostly. Yeah. 
Uh, we'll have different. We'll have time zone issues like some other people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we've dealt with that with Bart. Yeah. Well, you'll be you'll can, be can be done. Yeah, you'll be two hours behind me, so that actually might work out because um, then I can record late at night. So. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's the end of our episode twenty nine. We're talking about light, of course, because we're photographers. So you guys, uh, thanks for listening to us. We are doing really well because of you, uh, our audience, um, giving us all this great feedback when you can. And uh, please keep it coming. We're doing this for you guys. We're having fun too. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to be able to share this knowledge with everybody. So come to our website, which is switch2manual.com. And from there, you can get to our Facebook and our Flickr page and our Google+. And we're on Twitter. We post a lot on Twitter at switch the number two manual so switch to manual and if you uh, do pick us up on itunes if you subscribe to us please 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 give us ratings and reviews uh, that would be really really helpful for us probably more helpful than the tip cup that we set up on our website <laughs> for chump change as <laughs> tom likes to say yeah 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 uh, what else i think that that's it yeah so uh yeah, we'll see what happens in the next episode. But Switch to Manual is not going anywhere. It's just because Tom's going across the country. It doesn't mean we're stopping what we're doing. That's right. Yeah. The yeah. show must go on. The show must go on. That was a good, was it Three Dog Night song? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm dating myself. All right. So that's it. And uh, thanks a lot for hanging in to us, hanging in with us. And uh, we'll see you later. Adios.